Let's look in Luke 17, beginning with verse one, and probably try to treat, to teach a little bit, but you know how I wander off and preach before I'm done. But uh, Luke 17 and verse one, the Bible says, then said he unto the disciples, referring to Jesus, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Underline those three words, offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee, seven times in a day and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying I repent thou shalt forgive him and the apostles said unto the Lord now this seems strange to me he's talking about offenses and and giving them a guideline how to deal with offenses and the things they're going to face and the next thing they say to him Lord increase our faith. And he goes on to say, and the Lord said, if you had the faith as of a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, or sycamine tree, both pronunciations are right, unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. A lot of strange things occur in this passage, uh, one thing is is that he states something that's just as sure as anything that you'll ever know in all of your life, and that is offenses will come. I'm preaching on the subject of being offended or offending others, offenses. See, every one of us in here, whether we'll admit it or not, there's been times in our life where we have been offended and probably times, whether we meant to or not, that we offended others. And it seems like that you think that you get to the place where you wouldn't have to worry about offenses. Well, what is an offense? Well, it has a multitude of definitions, really. One is, you could say, it is the fact that you have been insulted or that someone has done an act that was displeasing to you. Or you could say it's, in definition, it's like breaking a rule or breaking a law. You've committed an offense. And by breaking that law, you have transgressed something that was permanent there. And you have violated that in some way. So there's a lot of definitions to it, but basically what the Lord is saying through all of it He's trying to prepare them. We can't escape offenses. Now you say, but preacher, the Bible says, great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. But it doesn't say the offense won't come. He's telling you what to do when the offense comes. And when you are offended or if you offend someone else, in both cases, when the offense occurs, your feelings are hurt. 
Now, don't tell me you've never had your feelings hurt. I think people get a false idea in their mind. They think that if they get saved and they get in church, that if they're part of a church, they're never going to get their feelings hurt. But the church is made up of people. And offenses will come. And what the Lord's trying to do is, number one, prepare them for the fact it's coming. Second of all, he's trying to tell you how to manage your feelings when that happens, what to do when that comes. He gives a warning in this as well, a caution that we all need to to have. Now, I know the first two or three points you're gonna say, why is he dealing with that? Those are things that we know, but stay with me. I think maybe uh, I learned something through this. Maybe you already know it. I pray you know it, but I learned a lot through this study and I think it'll, I think it'll be a blessing if we, if we look at it together tonight and try to share a few thoughts of what he gives us on this. See, when someone's feelings is hurt, if you are broken in body, it's easy to tell. You come in tonight, you've got a cast on your arm. It's easy for me to tell something's wrong with your arm, that you've broken your arm. That's easy to tell. But if you come in with a broken spirit or a broken heart, others can't tell that. The only way they can tell that is if you show that or let them know that. And these offenses, they come to individuals and the Lord's trying to tell us how we're going to handle these offenses. And being offended, it's one of those things that we live in the land of offense today. People have no caution about offending one another anymore. I, now, I'm not gonna get on a soapbox. Boy, I want to. But I, I'm, I'm really trying to stay in the spirit. I don't wanna get in the flesh. But uh, you need to be careful what you put on your phone and what you say to others. You, you really do. And we're at a time where nobody wants to get along with anybody. This message is only for people that want to learn how to love one another. Because we're all different. We come from different backgrounds. Uh, we, we, we've had different raisings. Uh, you've got people from different, uh, different levels of society, people's different levels of education. We walk different walks of life. But you can get along with people if you want to get along with people. But I've never seen anything like it. You gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. Everything you say, everything you do. I am amazed at the people that suddenly threaten to sue over, and I don't even get it. I don't know some phrases that they use. I don't know how they're offended by what they say. Now you walk up and you tell me you're fat. You could offend me. I can understand that. If you call someone a name, I can understand that. But now you make a basic statement that's been a statement around for years and somehow it's twisted around and by the time you're done, why, you've got prejudice in your heart or you don't like this group, nobody likes this, people don't like this, people don't like that. They're so easily offended. We live in the land of offenses today especially in this country. 
and it's become so easy for people to try to express themselves in a way where it starts to injure people without even knowing it. You can do that even in the church after you've been saved for some time. If you're not careful, you'll look at somebody else that just gets saved and hey, you remember what you were before you met the Lord. But I cannot stand to watch people whip people out of the church before they ever have a chance to learn. We now have a generation that's totally ignorant to church. They're ignorant to worship, they're ignorant. Not that they're ignorant people, it's just they've been isolated from it and they know nothing about it. And if you're not careful, you'll say something that can be very offensive to them. And we need to be careful of that because that's what the Lord deals with. He really breaks it down in three categories here. Number one, he deals with the offender. You'll find that at the end of verse one. Woe unto him through whom they come, the person that offends, the offender. It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast in the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. See, if you offend somebody, God watches how we interact with each other. God watches how we treat one another. It's amazing today. Today, uh, I opened the door for a family that was coming in while I was traveling. And the lady looked at me. She had two or three kids, her husband there. The lady and man looked at me strange and said, we've never had anybody open the door for us before. Isn't that sad that we live in that kind of a country now where people just aren't kind to one another and polite to one another. But yet, if we're not careful, we'll fall into into a place where we feel like we've got a right to offend others. But the Lord says, woe be unto you if that happens because when we do that, we're really showing our character. Do you know the real test of Christian maturity? The real test of Christian maturity is this how you treat people that you don't need. How you act to people that you can't get something from. See, people's good to people that they feel like they can get something from them, but when they can't get something from them, how do they treat them then? That's the true test of caring. For example, uh, all, all of the youth here, uh, when, when you're dating and you go into a restaurant, young ladies, watch how the young man treats the waitress or the waiter. They're there to wait on you, but that don't mean you're their boss. We've had some fallacies in life that's just not true. We've been taught the customer's always right. No, they're not. They're not always right. Sometimes they're bad wrong, bad wrong. And there's some people you couldn't please them. It don't matter what you do, you're not gonna please them. But if, if that young man is rude to the waitress, you mark it down, he'll be rude to you before your life's over. People will have a tendency to look at somebody that they look at them as though they're beneath them and feel like they've got to take that. 
I've watched pastors do that to churches. They feel like they can't get another pastor, so I'll treat them any way I want to treat them. You can't treat people like that. And I've seen others that have come along and they feel like, oh, we pay the preacher and the preacher will starve to death without us. So we're gonna treat the preacher any way we wanna treat the preacher. He has to listen to us. Hey, let me tell you something. God feeds this preacher. God takes care of this preacher. And I can't come up here and expect to be at a place where that I lord over you and am constantly looking for ways to offend you or to somehow try to get you irritated. How can I ever expect you to grow in the Lord if that's what I do? Candy and I was in a store over Christmas and there was a gentleman with his child, you could tell that, I mean, the child was small and I don't mean to sound judgmental, but what he said to that kid, that kid will bear that the rest of his life. You don't take someone because you're stronger than them and they're in your house and they they have to follow your rules. That's one thing, to guide them and to teach them but you don't tell them that they're worthless, that they're dirt, that they're filthy, that you don't want them. You know how many people in this church have had parents tell them they didn't want them? That offends them the rest of their life. Do you know how many churches tell people they don't want it? Bruce and Jamie, aren't they a blessing to our church, Bruce and Jamie? We miss them not being here. Do you know people like Jamie? Now, I'm just, I'm just speaking it the way it is. People like Jamie goes into a church and they'll tell them, we don't want you to come back. We've got people right here that we've had people look at them and tell them, hey, we don't like how you worship. Do you know that Candy and I was told years ago to leave this church? Yeah. I'm the pastor. You know why? The person wanted a friend of theirs to come and their friend didn't like me and they said, my friend won't come if you're here. What kind of devil from hell gets into somebody's mind to say, would you care to leave the church please because somebody I like wants to come? Well, let me get this right. I thought we're supposed to love one another. I'm not even preaching yet, hold on. The offender, I've offended people. Sometimes you can do it innocently. You can be 100% correct in what you're saying, but if you say it the wrong way, or you say it the wrong time, you can offend someone. Now that may not bother you, but I feel like I'll answer to God for that. And I can justify it by saying, well, you know, I was justified, they didn't like this and they didn't like that, but still, that doesn't give me an excuse to treat them wrongfully. Boy, it's quiet, isn't it? There is the offender, but look how it changes then when you get to the very next verse, verse three. 
take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Let me break this down real quick for you. He has now moved from warning the offender. He's saying, I watch how you treat people, and you treat people wrong, you're better off to have a millstone hung around your neck and to be cast into the sea. That was a horrible form of punishment and death. He said, you're better off to do that than to deal with what you're gonna deal with because you don't have to worry about it. God will take care of the offenders. But then when you're offended, now it's turned around. Take heed to yourself. If your brother trespassed, that means he was wrong. Let's get this right. He was wrong. The word trespass means the brother did wrong to another brother. A believer did wrong to another believer. It happens, folks. People aren't perfect, and it happens. But yet, we can justify that if we're not careful and somehow feel like, well, even though we're, we're, we're correct in our thought, we don't take into account the damage to their feelings. And I know some people carry their feelings on their sleeve. I realize that. But some people are just starting in the journey. Some people, they've been on the journey a long way. They just haven't gone very far. So he says, you've got grounds here that you have been offended. What do you do? He said, well, the first thing you do is you rebuke them. Now, let me clarify this. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you take an ad out in the paper or you post a post on social media and tell everybody about how bad that person is. That, that, that's not what that means. That's not what rebuke here means. It doesn't mean that you stand up and publicly scold them. It doesn't mean that you're to be the police of the world and because you had a problem with them, you go tell everybody else, hey, don't fool with them, you're gonna have a problem. Just making sure it's still on. No, it means that you confront them first and then second of all, you correct them, but you do that in love. You, you say, hey, what you said about me, that's a lie. But what, what, why are you telling a lie like that? What, why are you doing that? Is there something that I've done that I'm not aware of? See, you're telling them in love because you want to correct it. Now, here's where the problem comes. You say, well, preacher, you've got to forgive them. The smallest, biggest word in your Bible, if, <laughs> if he repent, forgive him. If he repent, seven, in other words, you can't forgive them if they don't repent. But then once that they have come to you and they say, hey, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, then you have an obligation spiritually to forgive them. And he said, if they do it seven times in a day. Now, that's something if you think about it. I mean, they call you up first thing in the morning, said, hey, I told a big story on you. 
wasn't true. God's dealt with my heart. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yes, I'll forgive you. 45 minutes later, the phone rings. Hey, I'm sorry. I told somebody else the same lie. (laughs) Will you forgive me? Yeah, yeah, I'll forgive you. I'll guarantee you about the fourth time, it'll get on your bundle of nerves. He goes to seven and then in another passage he talks about seven times 70. Man, he has gone from addition to multiplication now. This thing's getting serious and they're adding to it and it's getting worse. And it just continues to get worse. The key to it is, is if when someone comes to you, you have to accept that apology and you have to forgive them. And if they come back and they say, I've done it again, that's, that's the nature of sin. People will keep falling into the same sin. And when you're the offended, you've got to be able to respond to that. Now there's a part of you that says, well, I wanna rebuke them all, right? I've already got it all drafted out and I'm ready to tell them exactly what I think and I'm gonna let them know everything. See, the thing about it is, as a Christian, we know good and well. We can't, we can't knock them to the ground and stomp on them. But we'll stomp on their heart. We can't, we can't stab them with a knife, but we'll stab them in the heart. Do you know how painful that is to people? I I know it's a little quiet tonight, but the reason why is because, you know, most people don't say a whole lot when they're under anesthetic (laughs) and surgery's going on. He deals with the offender and he deals with the offended. But now, here's the meat of all of it. If he just says it's gonna come, and you, you don't need to be an offender, and this is what you need to do if you're offended. The problem of it is, though, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. If I left the story there, that would be terrible. But he not only talks about the offender and the offended, he talks about the overcomer. He tells you how to overcome this. They look at him and they say, Lord, increase our faith. There's two other parallel passages of scripture that say basically this same thing. Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 21. You've heard the account of both of them. Jesus said that if you've got the faith, the size of a grain of mustard seed, look to yonder mountain, say, be thou removed, it'll be plucked up and cast in the sea. Both times in Matthew, he says, speak to the mountain. But here he doesn't talk about a mountain. Here he talks about a sycamine tree. Now, that's a strange thing to me. Here they're wanting to find out how to overcome it. You say, where do you get that from? They said, increase our faith. Everybody here tonight want your faith increased? Say it right now, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. How is our faith increased? One way is certain. Faith cometh by and hearing by the word of God. You know what they were saying? Increase our faith, Lord. 
tell us more, give us word. And he pulls a, a symbol out of a tree and uses a tree to teach them how to overcome. Now that started wheeling in my mind and going back and forth. The sycamine tree. You know, the, it's the only time it's mentioned in your Bible right here in this verse. It's the only time that's ever mentioned. You say, wait a minute, Zach, Zacchaeus, he went up the sycamine. No, he went up the sycamore tree. Now there's some, there's some theologians that believe they're the same tree. I don't. I don't. I, I believe they're in the same family, but they're not the same tree. You know, for example, we could say, hey, in my front yard, I've got an oak tree, but that's generic of the species. There's red oak, white oak, pin oak, on and on. We, what kind of oak do you have? Well, that's the difference between the sycamore and the sycamine. They both are in the fig family. And he picks this particular tree to say, this is how you overcome it. It's like taking care of a sycamine tree and getting it plucked up and planted in the sea. Well, what is a sycamine tree? Well, there is another tree that looks exactly like a sycamine tree. It is called the black mulberry. The black mulberry tree looks exactly like, they both grow about 30, 35 feet tall. Uh, they're, they're, they have an enormous root system and they both span out. The only way that you can really tell the difference between the black mulberry in the Middle East and the sycamine tree, there's only one way to tell it, by tasting the fruit. The black mulberry fruit, the black mulberry tree is known as the rich man's tree because it produces, it looks like the same fruit, but the fruit it produces is extremely sweet. But the sycamine tree produces fruit that is extremely bitter. It is so bitter that they call it the poor man's tree. And the poor man, he needs to eat. So he'll take it, but he can't eat it all at once because it's so bitter. So what they do is they have to take just a tiny bite of it. And they go away and they come back and they bite, take another bite a little later, take another bite a little later on, take another bite a little later on, but it's bitter. What he's saying is, is you need to understand the sycamine tree, those offenses like that sycamine fruit. Don't keep going back and chewing it. Yes, you got offended. I'm sorry it happened 20 years ago, 30 years. Some of you biting on stuff you've been chewing on for 60 years now. Let it go. It's bitter. You're never gonna get it all eaten. It's never gonna be gone. That's what he's saying. Don't keep going back and chewing on the same thing and chewing on it. And, and I think you'll have to agree, am I the only one like this? Am I the only one that ever goes to the altar and say I've given it to the Lord? But about a week later, I'm right back biting into it again. Same thing all over again. Just go in a vicious cycle. You think you're over it. You think you got it behind you. They wronged you. They stole from you. They didn't do what was right. And you say, thank you, Lord. I've given it to you. But sure as you turn around, you're right back taking another bite out of the same fruit. 
See, Jesus picked this tree specifically. I want you to see that. It not only has bitter fruit, but it grows best in dry soil and a dry environment. It can't stand water. It dries. It it thrives in dry places. Do you know that if you get offended and you don't get it taken care of, your life's gonna become pretty dry. It'll get more and more dry and it'll continue to grow. Another thing, this amazed me. Sycamine trees, out of all the purpose that I've read, and I know a lot of you, you're gonna Google it, feel free, Google it, read it. You'll find what I'm telling you. I'm not making it up. But you'll find out the wood, the main purpose of the wood, they associated death with the sycamine tree. They used the wood for coffins. They don't build furniture out of it. They don't build tables out of it. They build caskets out of it. You listen to me and you listen good. If you have been offended and you don't get rid of that thing, it will kill you. It'll kill your family. I get, am I the only one that I get so weary of preaching funerals that people can't even attend the funeral of their own mom or dad or brothers? Do you know how many people I hear from in any given week that they've got a son or daughter that's been gone for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, they've never heard from them, they never speak to them. Hey, look right here, life is too short for that. You cannot live your life with that gall of bitterness inside of you, it'll just eat away. It'll kill you spiritually. It'll kill you to the place that your praying is dry, your singing is dry, your worship is dry, your relationship is dry. You don't enjoy life. You don't enjoy your family. You don't enjoy God. You don't see God in anything because all you can think about is the offense. It leads to death. And then two, the root system. It has an enormous root system. I've read where some of these trees go, the roots go as deep as 100 feet because the soil is sandy. And it grows out. It's unbelievable how the roots grow out. And the roots have this tendency, they entangle with each other and then anything they get close to, they entangle with it. So for that reason, they forbid them to plant them. They actually had a Jewish law. You had to be so many feet away from wells or cisterns or homes where you could plant this tree because it will absolutely wrap around. It'll destroy a foundation of a home. It'll kill out every other tree around it. It'll wrap its roots around those trees. Hey, I'm preaching right now, whether you realize it or not, you better be careful who you're entangled with. There's some people that will choke the life out of you. You may think that you can help them, but if they have this bitterness inside of them and they don't come to the Lord and ask the Lord to help them with that, soon it'll start to kill them and they'll get you entangled in. I'm here to tell you, I cannot stand drama in life. I absolutely hate drama. Hate drama in a church, hate drama in a community. I don't live long enough on this world to spend my time caught up in somebody else's drama. There's enough good things going 
going on that we don't want to get wrapped up in a lot of things that just don't matter. How can I tell if I'm hooked on drama when you get a prayer chain call? What? When you get a prayer chain call? Do you pray for it? Or are you just glad you're the first to know to tell somebody else? Drama. You don't think there's drama? I hear our people all the time, did you see that Facebook fight? No, that's why I'm not on Facebook and I don't wanna hear about it. If you got time for that, God bless your heart. I don't have time for that. I'm trying to do something to feed myself and feed you. But it'll absolutely overwhelm you. It will entangle. I know I'm in overtime. Let me give you this, I'll quit. They, they did plant them at one place. Since the root system is so big, that you, you know well, if you know anything about trees, uh, it's just a rule of thumb, it's not guaranteed with most species of tree. However far out the roots go, that's how far the limbs go. So when you have a large root system on a tree, then the limbs come out farther and that means it's a good shade tree. So this sycamine tree is a good shade tree. So what they would do is they would plant it, since it wasn't good to plant it close to your house, and it wasn't good to plant it close to any property or other trees, they would plant it at crossroads where two paths intersected. So when the tree grew up, for weary travelers, it provided shade. So they could sit under the sycamine tree at the crossroads where two roads meet. I, I, don't, I don't think maybe this is quite sinking in. You're at a crossroad. Some of you have come in here with a lifetime of offenses. And I, I'm not saying that there isn't a legitimate reason for you feeling the way that you feel. You can have a perfectly good reason, a valid reason. People do wrong others but by you not dealing with it and never coming to a crossroad in your life to deal with it, then all you're going to do is hurt yourself. Let it go. Turn loose of it. What do you do? Jesus said, plant the tree in the sea. That's what he said. Isn't that what you read? Verse six, if you had faith as of a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. You remember what I said? They love dry. So you're putting it at a place that it can't thrive and it can't grow. You get at a crossroad in life where you can't help what others do 
that offends you. You can't control that from coming into your life. But I can tell you what you can control, how you react to it. It takes some faith to say enough is enough. This has bothered my mind long enough. It has drugged me down long enough. It has held me in bondage long enough. I am going by faith tonight to come to the crossroad and by faith, I'm going to see it plucked up, roots and all, because the root system is so, so entangled. If you cut the tree down, it just grows back. Pluck it up and plant it in the sea. What do the Old Testament prophets say happens to our sins concerning the sea? Cast into the depths of the sea. Can't see them. God don't know about them. They're gone. Wouldn't you like to get so that you could say, that's me tonight. I'm tired of staying up worried about this. Sleepless nights. I'm tired of dodging people because of what they might think about me or what they said about me. You can't control what they say. If there's ever a church that should know how much people lie, this church should know because we've been lied on just about as much as anybody can be lied on. And you know it's not an exaggeration. When the fire department was being built, went around everywhere. That was gonna be the garage for my expensive automobiles. Park my Rolls Royce in there, my Mercedes in there, all of my collector car. You know, that went all over the area. And people come to me, what are you gonna do about it? You know what I said? Nothing. I'm not gonna do nothing about it. You know what's funny? A lot of the people I know that did that, not one of them have ever come and said, I'm sorry. So I can't really forgive them because they don't want forgiveness. But I tell you what I can do, I can get rid of it to say, <laughs> don't they look funny? <laughs> I mean, for heaven's sake, when the power company, they were landing their helicopter in our side yard in the soccer field. People said that was my helicopter. <laughs> hey, I don't own a helicopter, not that it's wrong to, but if I bought one, it wouldn't have a boom on it of about 30 or 40 feet with blades that spin to cut trees. That's what they cut the power lines with. <laughs> when they put the excavator on top of the hill where the cross is now, they said, they're building him a $5 million mansion up there. Not had one of them come back and say, I lied, I lied. I was standing with a friend of ours, I'm in overtime, is that okay? I was standing in the hospital one day with a friend of mine. A fellow come up to me and when he came up to me, he said, hey, preacher, how you doing? I said, a lot better than you. He said, what do you mean, what do you mean? I gotta be careful what I say here cause he's some of your relatives. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. That morning I got up and the particular jacket that I put on 
had lawsuit papers inside of it where he and several others in the community were going to sue me. Yeah. They sent the papers to me to threaten me before they filed the suit. That's it. And I said, brother, you gotta be upset with me. Why, why, Why are you suing me? Now there's another guy from another church there by me. He said, I'm not suing you. I said, you're not? He said, no. I said, now you're in real trouble. You lied too. Well, you can't prove it. I pulled the suit papers out. I said, looky here. Somebody signed your name. He said, oh, oh, they misunderstood. I'll get that taken care of. When he got sick, guess who he called to come to the hospital to visit him? Guess who went? When I went, he never mentioned anything about it. I had prayer with him. And after I had prayer with him, I asked him a simple question that I don't care if you attend here every week. This is my job as a pastor. You can come here for 30 years. If you're near death, I'm gonna look you in the eye and I'm gonna say, if I'm the one that has to stand over your body, is everything right between you and the Lord? And he said, everything but one thing. And he poured his heart out to me. And I said, you don't have to ask for forgiveness. You're already forgiven. I forgive you a long time ago. Some of you, though, are carrying things around that you're gonna go to your grave that you can't stand to look at somebody that did something they ought not do. You don't have to fight the battle. The Lord says he'll take care of us. He'll defend us. The truth will come out. God will take care of all of it. He always knows what's right. You can hold on to it or you can let it go. Wow. We got our money's worth tonight, didn't we? The sick of mine grew. I'm sorry you've been hurt. And there's people here with real hurt. Only thing worse than being hurt is not getting it plucked up and plant it in the sea. Get rid of it. 